Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege of being able to go to Honduras, and I want to tell you a little bit about that this morning. And uh, we went with an organization called Remar, and Remar was an organization that began in the 1980s in Spain. And in Spain, there was a Christian couple that decided we want to go and create kind of an organization that will help the church fulfill its mission of reaching those who are marginalized. And again, marginalized are people that are often pushed to the edges of life and society, those who are most vulnerable, those who are the least, those who need help. And they said, well, who are those kinds of people? Well, they identified them as being three groups of people that they were going to minister to. One was men and women who are in recovery from drug and alcohol addiction, especially those that didn't have the support of anyone else around them. They were and create homes where they could live in and be supported and study God's word together and find that healing and that recovery and that restoration in Jesus' name. And then they said, secondly, there are children. Children who don't have any parents or whose parents have abused them or are addicts themselves and cannot take care of their children. So we will create children's homes to help those who are vulnerable, who need a place to live and grow. And thirdly, there are elderly people. And sometimes the elderly people have been abandoned by their family or they have no family um, in many places in the world, elderly people are just there in the cities and the streets with no one to take care of them. They said, we will create homes where these elderly people can live together and study God's word. And so they established themselves to reach those three groups of people, the children, the elderly, and those who are in recovery. And they began setting up homes all over Spain. And very quickly, they began to expand to other countries. And today, they are in close to 70 countries around the world with these types of ministries and these homes. The first time I heard about them was a friend of mine from El Salvador told me about Raymar's ministry in El Salvador. And she said to me, would you go? Would you be willing to go and see the ministry there and perhaps bring teams to help them? And I said, sure, I will. And we went to El Salvador about nine or ten years ago. And we saw the ministry there. And there we met um, in San Miguel, Antonio and Milena Rosales. And we began to work with them and help them in their ministry and their desire to see people taken care of, but also see people come to know Christ and to come to find life in Jesus' name. Well, we've been t- I've been partnering with them through my previous church in this church and also House of Praise and Worship in Hartford and also a couple of covenant churches in New York for the last few years. And we were intending to go back this year, uh, but something happened. God had other plans. Um, Antonio and Milena got a call from Raymar and said, we would wonder, we want you to go to Honduras. Because in Honduras, they need help. There's a children's home there. There's a men's recovery home there. And they need help. And we want you to go and be the directors there. So we put our plans on hold. And I began to pray and ask God, well, I've been going to El Salvador for years. But Antonio, my friend, is now in Honduras. God, where do you want us to go? And as I was praying, Bishop Cruz from House of Praise and Worship was praying as well. And we both felt led together that we should go visit Antonio in Honduras because there was a need there. We had the relationship with him and we felt God calling us to go there. So a couple of weeks ago, Bishop Cruz and his wife and uh, my wife and myself, uh, we went to Tegucigalpa, Honduras. And I'm trying a new thing here, but... Somehow it says the connection was lost. There we go. That's Tegucigalpa. We flew in. Tegucigalpa is, if you just count the city, the second largest city in Central America. It is a very compact, very, uh, there's a lot of pollution, there's a lot of traffic, there's a lot of people there in Tegucigalpa. Honduras is the second poorest country 
in the Western Hemisphere. It's Haiti is the poorest, and then it's Honduras. So a lot of things there are very different in their infrastructure and in their system. Uh, so we flew there, and we went into the capital city, and uh, we saw a little bit of Tegucigalpa, and then we, we went about an hour outside of the city to the children's home uh, where Antonio and Milena had been asked to go and to work. And in this home right here, you see that there's several buildings on this property they have. This first building I'm showing you is the house where Antonio and Milena and his daughters, Gabby and Rebecca, live. And right next to it is a schoolroom where the kids can go in and do their homework. One of the things they found when they arrived is that the kids had not been doing the homework. They were behind in school. They were not wearing their uniforms to school or even having uniforms. They were not, you know, washing their clothes on a regular basis or even taking showers on a regular basis. Basically, uh, there was very little supervision at their house like they should have been. But this year, they're doing much better in school. They're studying every day. Um, Antonio and Milena have done so much work to clean up this place. When they arrived, the mattresses and the furniture was so bad that they burned most of it. And they've spent the last six months just trying to bring in new mattresses, new furniture, new things for the children um, that live there. Uh, this picture shows the uh, cafeteria and dining room. It was actually built by the country of Germany back in the 90s when Raymar came to Honduras. And uh, that's where everyone eats and where they cook the food for the children. Everything that they have is donations. They exist solely off of donations and then whatever money they can make from small micro industries uh, that they have. One that they have there is they make cleaning fluid and they sell it to different companies and organizations around the area in order to make money. But they have places that donate food to them. So a lot of their time during the week is spent traveling sometimes up to four to five hours one way to get donations uh, that are given uh, for everyone that's living there. There's about um, 20 to 25 children that are there. This is the property they have. You can see it's a really beautiful property. They have a um, patio off to the right. They have a soccer field there in the middle. Those buildings you see behind the school bus are the men's home. There's about four men in recovery that live there. And then there's a chapel for their church. Every location in every country has a church with it as well. And uh, the school bus doesn't work. It needs to be repaired. So that's one of the, the projects we're hoping to pray about and, and be involved in as well. Uh, the next picture shows you the chapel. So you can see it's very simple. But they have church service every Thursday night, every Sunday morning. And God put it up on my heart that that this is like church planting, like what we're doing. That there's going to be people that come from the community to this church. Amen. Praise God. We're going to find Jesus Christ. Right now, right now, church is so beautiful. It's just all the kids, about 20 of them in the kids' home, about the five to eight workers that are there, the men's home, and one other men's home, they come together, and that's their whole church. It's just all of these people that are living together, that are seeking, you know, God's help in their lives. Uh, but as a church gets established... Many people from the community can begin to come and be involved there as well. Um, this house you see behind us in the picture is a very beautiful building. That's where most of the younger kids live. It's got a wraparound porch. Um, they've repainted so much in there. Uh, but again, inside is bare bones. So uh, one thing we did was we brought money from both of our churches. And I wanted to thank you and give you this report. We said, what do you need the most? They said, the kids, uh, they have a living room. They don't have a television. So we went and got them a television. Uh, my wife found some bootleg movies out in the market. And we set them up. And the kids were really excited. They now have a place where they can hang out and relax and watch movies. Antonio and Milena are in the middle, as you see there. And they're the directors of the place. So, wow, it just goes when I don't even touch anything. So those were some of the girls, and these are some of the boys uh, that are there at the home. You can see their school uniforms. Uh, the older kids, the one in the front and the one in the back, they're not in school uniform because the younger kids go to school from 8 to 1 every day. 
And high school kids, ready for this? High school, their high school goes from 5 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. every day. Isn't that weird? I mean, some of you are like, I could sleep in till like noon and then get up and go from 5 to 8, but that's when the high school is. So during the day, uh, these guys are doing the chores. They're helping out around the place. Some of the older guys are going out and selling the, the cleaning fluid uh, to make money for the home. But um, now you can see, even in five or six months, the home is, is progressing and moving in the way that it should go because Raymar has a beautiful ministry. And so what strikes me about this is just that the, the, when you talk about people that are living in, in one of the poorest countries in the whole Western Hemisphere, and you talk about these kids that have been through God knows what, abuse, neglect, abandonment. In Honduras, it, see in El Salvador, the government actually goes in and investigates, you know, uh, claims like they do here in America. And if a home's unsafe, they'll take the kids and they'll bring them to a place like this or somewhere else. If it's an unsafe situation for the kids to be in. In Honduras, they don't even do that. So I said, well, how do you get the kids? They said they're either abandoned on the street or their parents drop them off. There's a family of five children. The mother has dropped off every single one and left them there. And never sees them again. You talk about people that your heart goes out to. But these are people that are humble. These people, you see these kids, they're not, they're not sad. They're not depressed. You see them full of joy and love and life. And I think of my friend Antonio. And I think of a man who is humbly serving the Lord where God is calling them. You know, Antonio will probably never speak in front of large crowds. He will probably never have YouTube videos for people to watch his preaching. He'll probably never be on a stage somewhere. He'll probably never write a book. He'll probably, his name will never be known across America like some of these famous Christians and preachers and teachers that we always talk about. But he has such the power of the Holy Spirit in his life and in his ministry. And we don't understand that the blessing of God is sometimes so powerful. The anointing is so powerful upon the humble, upon those who are in places that we've never heard of, upon those who've chosen to live their lives in complete service and humility and love for other people. And that's exactly what I wanted to talk about this morning. I wanted to talk about our need for humility in our lives, our need to be humble. You know, we have this value, serve all, right? And serve all, I wanted to break it down for you a little bit this morning because we need humility to be able to serve all. And why do we have this value? Because through the words and actions of love, we will declare that Jesus Christ is the way to God and eternal life. Amen? Amen? Through words and through actions. It's both and. It's not one or the other. Some people focus on one and not the other. But we need to understand that it's through words and actions that we declare Jesus Christ is the way to God to eternal life. So therefore, when we say serve all, here's what we mean. We're committed to bring the whole gospel, the good news, to the whole world. To bring the good news where it's needed the most. To the poor, the outcast, the ignored, the marginalized, the dismissed, and the discarded. We go across lines to share the gospel. Lines of culture, race country, economic status, age, and gender. We're willing to stand with people different from us. And let me be very clear, because I stand with someone who's different from me, doesn't mean I agree with everything that they, that they think or believe, okay? I don't have to agree with them. I don't have to approve of everything. They don't have to approve of everything I do. But if someone has a need, 
then I'm called to go and serve that person and to meet that need and to stand with them. For if you read the Gospels, you'll understand that in Jesus' day, whenever somebody drew a line, and oftentimes it was the church that drew lines and said, you're out and we're in, Jesus stepped across that line and he stood with those who were unclean. Does that mean Jesus approved of their lifestyle? No. Jesus loved them into the truth that God had for them. But today, the church is drawing lines and lines and lines and saying, we're in and you're out. And I believe if Jesus were to come to us today, he would come in love. He'd pat us on the shoulder. He'd say, nice try, church. But I'm going over here. And I'd like you to come with me. I'd like you to stand with me. To stand on the ground. You see, there's something about going. That's why I go. That's why I invite people to go with me across the lines of country. To stand on their soil. To stand on their soil. I cannot understand the life of someone like a foreigner or an immigrant who comes into this country until I stand on their soil. And I eat their food and I breathe their air. And I worship in their churches. And I hear their stories. And the same is true of us today. Unless we're willing within our country to go across those lines and stand where someone is and eat their food and share their home and listen to their stories. That brings us closer together. For we are called to be servants because Jesus Christ was a servant. servant. Our leadership at Hartford City Church will take the role of servants. Jesus will serve us so we can serve others. We'll let Jesus wash our feet and follow his example. We won't promote our brand or ourselves, but always Jesus Christ. And it's so easy to do that, isn't it? It's so easy to try to promote our brand or ourselves and not really promote Jesus Christ, who we're supposed to be promoting. And one of the verses that we look to is Philippians 2, 1 through 11. And I wanted to look and highlight at just a verse of that this morning from, from Philippians chapter 2. You can turn there if you want to go there or you can... Uh, You know, look at it here on the screen. Okay, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? It's pretty straightforward. I don't even know what else I can say about that. Except that how often do we not live our lives like this? How often do we not take the opportunity to, in humility, which is the key thing, you have to be humble. You have to be humble and have true humility, which is what we're talking about today. Value others above yourselves. You see, every life has value, right? This immediately makes me think of the whole movement, Black Lives Matter. And there was a lot that surrounded that as it became politicized and as people took it in different directions for their own agenda. But think about the phrase with me for a moment. Black lives matter. In humility, value other lives above yourself. What it says at its heart is that men and women who are black, who are African American, Caribbean American, their lives have value, have great value, have infinite value. And when I read this, It tells me that what I should do as a white Christian is not only give that life equal value, but value it more than my own life. Because if we did that with each other, if we valued each other's life above our own, think about the kind of community we'd be creating. 
Because we would all be working for each other. We'd all be helping to build each other up. Amen? We would be building each other up instead of tearing each other down. And we've just gotten, we've just gotten lost. That's what we are. That's what we are. You know, sometimes we get so angry and upset. But God is moving us through that to a heart of compassion. And I just have, I grieve because I think people are so lost. We're arguing about terms and we're arguing about things and we're forgetting that we're supposed to build each other up. That whatever I can do to lift them up, I should be doing. I shouldn't let my intellect get in the way of that. I shouldn't let my political convictions get in the way of that. I shouldn't let all the what ifs and the buts and the this and that get in the way of working to build one another up. Because in humility, all of your lives, I value more than mine. And if we all did that with each other, we would begin to build each other up. And that's what humility is about. Humility is so important. And, and we live in a world, we got kind of a messed up world, don't we? We know it's a mess. Where do you think all of these appalling wars and quarrels come from? And so we're going to look at James chapter 4, 1 through 12 this morning. We're going to look at it from the message and in the Spanish. It's the New International Version of the Spanish. And I encourage you as always to follow along in your translations and to see the connections that are made here. But the message is bringing it in a language that I believe is upfront, is straightforward, that really challenges us, that hits us hard. Because we know that the world is a mess, right? How many of you know, how many of you look at the world and you know it's a mess? We're messed up. This country is messed up. This world is messed up. Honduras is messed up. But every country is messed up. And here's the bad news, good news. The world has always been messed up. Anybody know that? That's the bad news. The world has always been messed up. But here's the good news. God has always had a word. The world has always been messed up, but God has always had a word. He's had a word to speak into that. And this is the word that he speaks through James in this letter that James wrote to the Christians 2,000 years ago that we're going to look at together this morning. So let's do it, shall we? I love the time that this section gets serious. It's time to get serious in the church. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way. And you fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have, and you're willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours, and you will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. You're spoiled children, each wanting your own way. You're cheating on God. You hear that? He's talking to the church. He's talking to Christians. You're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God in his way. And you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that he's a fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. Amen? It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud, but God gives grace to the willing humble. So let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Dipping and dabbing, you know what I'm talking about? Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom, cry your eyes out. The funny games are over. Get serious. Really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. If you want to touch the sky, your knees got to hit the... 
All right, now you know why we sing these songs. Don't badmouth each other, friends. It's God's word, his message, his royal rule that takes a beating in that kind of talk. You're supposed to be honoring the message, not writing graffiti all over it. God is in charge of deciding human destiny. Who do you think you are to meddle in the destiny of others? Here's the message, plain and simple this morning. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's what this whole passage is saying in a number of different ways. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that's the message that I believe God wants us to hear this morning. So let's take a look at it this way. Let's begin by looking at the way of the arrogance, as James had just been talking about it in that verse. And there are so many pictures I wanted to put up of arrogant people, but it said, don't badmouth people. I don't know. I'm not going to mess in their destiny. So we'll just, we'll just leave the uh, Mr. Peacock up there to symbolize the way of arrogance. First of all, James says, when I want my own way, I want my own way. I want it that way. It was just one of, right? I want it my own way. It's got to be my way. I want it. There so many of us want our own way. You know what we say as pastors? I'm going to give you a little secret. I'm not, probably not supposed to tell the pastor secrets. We're like, you know what's going on in our churches, man? People just do what they want to do. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter how bad of a situation they're in. It doesn't matter how much you try to convince them to do something. People do what they want to do. They just do. People do what they want to do. And when I do what I want to do, again, to the extent sometimes I'll do anything to get it, I'll make up any kind of excuse because I want things my way. I'm not submitting to God's way. It's arrogance. It's arrogance to think that I know the better way for my life than the God who created me. Come on. You see how arrogant that is? It's like, oh, I know how to live my life, God. I know what's going to be best, God. And I never think about what God wants me to do. I never think about God's way in my life. How arrogant is that? How prideful is that? And when I pray, James says, you don't even want to pray because you know that you're just being selfish and demanding. Think about that for a minute. How many of our prayers are demands to God? Don't get me wrong. It is right and proper to pray to God, to give our requests to God, to cry out to God. It is. But are we demanding something of God? You see, when we demand... We say, God, you must give me exactly what I say. And God becomes just like a a valet at our service to give us whatever we want. And that's not God. God is not Alexa. Come on. Somebody's with me this morning. God is not Alexa. God is God. And we demand things of God, don't we? We get upset. God doesn't answer my prayers. Well, is it because you demanded that God do what you wanted to do? And you're not even living your life in submission to God. Why would God do that? Why would God give you something that's going to kill you? Because the way of sin leads to death. When we're not following God, anything we ask for could bring us destruction. When we're submitted to God and his will, then we ask him and he gives us because he gives us life. It's good to pray. We must pray. But we must remember not to be selfish and demanding in our prayers. Then it goes on to say when we're arrogant, we're unfaithful to God. That's powerful language, isn't it? Cheating on God. That's when we're dipping and dabbing. That's when we're going out and we're doing all of these other things, you know, that we know God doesn't want us to do. That's when we're, you know, we are unfaithful to God, right? Where do you spend all of your time? Is it with God or is it with other things? Where do you spend your money? Where do you give your affection and your attention to? Those are the idols of this world, right? 
Those are the idols. And the most popular idols are money and wealth. Their power and influence. You know, their sex and physical pleasure. We've got all of these idols. And we're dipping and we're dabbing. And we're playing the field. And we're doing God for a little bit. But then we're doing ourselves a lot more. And God all the time is crying. Because what he has to give you is so much more than what the world has to give you. But you don't believe the devil is a liar because you're out there playing in his games, in his field. And you're messing around. And you're cheating on God. Think about it in a relationship. If your man or your woman, your husband or your wife, they spent their money, their time, their attention, and their affection on somebody else, how would you feel? How do you think God feels when we give him a minute here and there? When we give him a dollar here and there, when our affection, our gaping, the gaping wholeness that we all have, I have it too, to be loved, to be accepted, to be valued. And I'm asking everybody else to fill that up for me, not realizing they're just as empty as I am, if not more. When God is saying, I have oceans of love. My mercies are new every morning. Every day I can pour into you so much love that will overflow out of your heart to others around you who are dry and thirsty. Amen. Amen. That's where God wants us to be. That's where God wants us to be. But the way of the arrogance says I don't need to go before God. And then that last part, which was so good, I put other people down. It says don't badmouth other people, right? And in other translations, it says it very simply, don't judge your neighbor. Who are you to be a judge? Because there's only one judge, and that's God. And he's the only one who can save and can destroy people. And I love the way the message puts it. Don't mess with someone else's destiny. Right? So when I judge someone, when I put someone down, when I say you'll never amount to dot, 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 I'm making a judgment on their life. But I don't know their destiny. I don't know what God has planned for them. Only God can save or destroy them. And only God can save or destroy me. So you hear it all the time. The Bible says over and over, do not judge, do not judge, do not judge, right? But so many Christians are sitting around judging people, bad-mouthing other people, slandering people, speaking against people. And I don't want to mess with someone else's destiny because I don't know what God has planned for them. So I need to be very careful when I speak out against anybody. Oh, friends, man, I want to tell you, in preparing this sermon, and I'm talking about people that are arrogant and just dripping with arrogance, man, I wanted to call out so many people in this sermon that I think are arrogant in this world today. And then God reminded me, don't badmouth. <laughs> you don't know their destiny. Now, am I saying you can't call out what's wrong? No. Hear me clearly. We can call out what's wrong, and we should. We should call out what's wrong. But we must remember that that person that we're against or that's on the other side of us is a person still that God created and that God loves. And we just need to check our heart. It's not one or the other. It's not that we sit back quietly because we don't want to offend anyone. We don't want to say anything. No, 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 I'm not saying that. Speak out against what is wrong, but do it with humility and do it with love and pray for that person that God would get a hold of that heart and that person. Because God is speaking to us today God is speaking to the church today. He opposes the arrogant. And I need to say that. I need to say that because God's word says it. And I need to look at myself first. But here's the problem. And we've got to to start with ourselves. We're just dripping with arrogance and pride. 
And I am discouraged and I am frustrated at times because I see so many Christian leaders, ones that I grew up with, white evangelical Christians that are so prideful and so arrogant. And I think they're cheating on God with the idols of power and influence in politics. And I think God is opposing them. But I must leave that in God's hands. And I try to call out what is wrong. But remember to pray for those people. Because here's where God is working on me. If you see someone, if you see yourself, look at yourself first. And if you're dripping with pride and arrogance, God is not blessing you. That's what the verse says. God is not blessing you. God is going to oppose you. Right? And yet so many people who are dripping with arrogance and pride and saying, God is blessing that. Nuh-uh. God is not blessing that. You see someone, how many of you get frustrated with people that are prideful and arrogant, right? Okay, I get, and how many of us can be prideful and arrogant? I get frustrated. We should be frustrated at as well, right? God opposes the proud and the arrogant. But remember, friends, God does everything in love. So why does he do that? Because he loves us too much. He knows that if we continue to be prideful and arrogant, we're going to die. Everything is going to fall apart. Pride comes before a fall. Our arrogance is going to lead us to a bad end. Whatever temporary success we have through our arrogance and our pride, it's not going to last. Because God has a long history of opposing the proud. People who thought they were going to be something. And God stood up and said, no, I love you too much to let you destroy yourselves. I'm going to come against that pride. He did it in the Tower of Babel when people thought they could build a tower to heaven. And he opposed that. He did it to Pharaoh when Pharaoh thought he was all something. And he could enslave all the people of God. And God opposed Pharaoh because he was proud. And he was arrogant. And Goliath and the Philistines came against the people of Israel. And God opposed them because they were so arrogant and they were so prideful that they could take down God's people and even God's people themselves became so prideful and so arrogant that God sent them into captivity and there's a whole book called Lamentations that talks about how we thought we were so great but God brought us down to show us that he is God and I am not but it's a hard message isn't it it's a hard message we need to understand that we need to humble ourselves before God Sometimes, as the, as the verse was saying, we need to cry. We need to mourn. We need to lament. The best way I check myself is by trying just to be with someone in their pain and in their grief. Because again, so many people want to argue about who's right and who's wrong. But when there's suffering, when there's death, when there's injustice, we need to mourn. We need to grieve. We need to understand that it is not the way that God wants it to be. And true humility is understanding that I can trust a God who is bigger than me and a God who loves me. That's my definition of humility. Amen? Amen. Humility is trusting there's a God who's bigger than me and who loves me and loves the world. Right? It's a confidence in God. Humility is not low self-esteem, feeling bad about yourself. No, humility is saying "My, my trust is in God. I don't have to worry about what you say or what you do, but my trust is in God. I don't have to try to become somehow above you or in power over you. or I don't have to have money. I don't have to have worldly success. I don't have to have fame. But I can be confident in God. And that confidence brings a humility that brings the Spirit of God that gives us strength to do things that are so mighty and so powerful and nobody may ever hear about it or see it. 
Well, God is going to do it. God is going to do it. And God is going to get the glory. Amen? So let's look for a minute at the way of the humble. You know, what is it that it shows us that we should do if we want to not walk in the way of the arrogant, but walk in the way of the humble? Number one, I need to submit to God's will for my life. I need to submit to God's will for my life. And I just want to ask you some questions this morning. As we begin to move in a time where I believe the Spirit wants to change our hearts this morning, really transform us, do a deep work inside of us, I want you to start thinking about these questions here in this moment. All right? Are you submitting to God's will for your life? And let me just break it down very simple. How are you, is what you're doing what God wants you to do? Have you even thought about that? Have you even asked God, is this what you want me to do? Some people are saying, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? He showed us what he wants us to do. To do justice, to love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. It's very simple. It's right there in the scripture. But God may have been telling you something to do. And sometimes we don't hear what God wants us to do because we haven't yet done what he already asked us to do. And we know he's waiting on our obedience to give us the next step. He's waiting on our willingness to do his will so that he can reveal more of his will. We need to submit to God's will. We need to pray like Jesus, not my will, but your will be done, God. Are we praying that prayer every single day? Are you doing what you want to do? Or are you doing what God has told you, invited you, asked you to do? It's a question for our hearts this morning. Are we submitting to God? We need to purify our hearts this morning, friends. We need to stop dipping and dabbing. We need to stop flirting and cheating on God. We need to stop playing the field. We need to purify our hearts. We need God to forgive us and for God to cleanse us. And that's what we need. It's just about being real before God, right? It's just about, I mean, true humility says, I messed up. I mess up. I make mistakes. God forgives me. God cleanses me. God encourages me and he lifts me up so that I can continue to walk in his way. And then finally, we need to get down on our knees. Getting down on our knees is the symbol and the posture of being humble, but we need to do it. And we need, I think we need to even do it this morning, amen? We need to get down on our knees before God and say, I will submit to your will and your way so that I might be used by you, God. We need to pray for God's will in our life. We need to pray to be used by God. We need to pray for his grace. Because when his grace fills us, then we can extend grace and mercy to others and it comes when we humble ourselves before the Lord when we say not my way God but your way who's ready to say that this morning anybody is anybody ready to say that this morning is anybody ready to say not my way but your way God knowing that he loves you knowing that that his life for you is going to be so much better than anything you could have for yourself I'm promising you friends because it's the promise of God that his way is going to be better than your way and his way is going to love you and bring you to life are you ready to say yes to God this morning oh I need the worship team to come up come on you guys you get up here start getting up I want to know if you're ready to give your life to God this morning if you're ready to say yes Jesus Yes, Jesus, I will submit to you. If you're ready to say, I I don't want to be that arrogant person that you oppose God. I want to learn true humility. I want to be a humble woman, a humble man of God, so that I can really share and experience your love. That's what it's all about. Hartford City Church, this community, this world is waiting on us to serve all, to love all and serve all. And we have to make a commitment to do that every day. And we can only do it with humility. Come on, I need some music. Come on, I need some music playing this morning. We need to surrender our lives to God this morning, amen? We need to give God our will. We need to stop trying to do things our own way. And I mean all of us. 
The first step of becoming a Christian is giving our lives to God. Is saying, yes, Jesus, I will surrender my life to you. Would you join me in prayer this morning? I'd ask each and every one of you to just adopt whatever posture of prayer you feel led to in this moment. Amen. And I just want to give an opportunity, if there's anyone here, if you've never given your life to Christ, it's the simplest thing, Jesus Christ, I give you my life today. Forgive me of my sins. And fill me with your love and grace. If anybody needs to say that, just pray that prayer quietly after me right now. Just say, Jesus Christ, I give you my life. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your love and grace this morning. Pray that prayer for the first time today. I'm going to ask you to come and see me after the service. I'm going to pray for you to celebrate God's life. Amen. But we know as followers of Christ that I must daily get on my knees and say, God, I will follow your will. I will follow your way. God, take away my pride and arrogance. Fill me with a confidence in your love that brings true humility. And I'm going to open up the front this morning, the, what we call the altar, the place where, where God and humanity meets. Because I think there are some of you this morning, some of us this morning, that actually need to get on our knees. That actually need to get on our knees as a way to show ourselves in God that we're serious. We're serious about following God this morning. So I'm going to invite you to stand if you are able as we sing this last song.